Hello, and welcome to The Education Debate, a podcast where we debate issues relating to education and learning. Um, my name is Ian, and I'm joined by a group of hand-picked participants who have agreed to be part of the podcast and share their views with you. So let's have, by way of an introduction to each and every one of them, let's, could you let the listeners know who you are and maybe also what is your favourite subject to teach? Right, off you go. Hi, I'm uh, Tom, just starting second year. My favourite subject to teach is science. I enjoy the questioning that it can get from the children and all the inquiry skills that are involved in it. Hi, my name's Arthur. I have just started the third year, my final year, and my favourite subject is mathematics, which is often considered to be the language of science. It's often been my favourite subject as a child and it's stuck with me all the way up into university. Hi, my name's Katie and I'm starting second year also. My favourite subject to teach is poetry because I just think it's a great way of letting children express themselves. My name is Kerry and my favourite subject to teach is English with an emphasis on the drama that can be carried through that. Again, for the way that children can express themselves and the independence they get through. Hi, my name is Peter. My favourite subject is geography because it just encompasses every area of life. I'm sure to have an episode specifically about geography. I feel it coming up. And if you're interested about how we all look, then of course you can look at the icon because our bitmojis are there. So you can start trying to match us together and who is who, we'll see whether or not people get it correct. So before we get on to the main topic, I've picked some <laughs> stories from recent news sometime in the month of um, September. And I'm just really interested in your views about that. So one of the stories that I came across was a piece on the BBC Co.UK page about not starting school in September, but actually starting it in January. Now, I've often wondered, why do we start in September? It seems that there's a new year. It's, it'd be a nice thing after <coughs> Christmas, finish the academic year at Christmas time, lovely celebrations, new year new um, school year, why not start in January? What do you think? Well, I worked with a youth manager over the summer who was from Australia. She started her teaching career on Australia and I believe they actually start their new academic year in January and went into December. She was actually explaining how it's actually really difficult to start in January because all these new children come to her at the age of five and they only start school when they're five. So whatever time they turn five, January to December, they start school then. So she'll have like a class of six, five years to begin with and then as the year progresses, as it'll turn into you know a full class just having new children start each time and she doesn't think that's she didn't think it worked so she moved to England and became a teacher here but (laughs) drastic move (laughs) (laughs) it was I I don't know the other reasons behind it but she was not she that's how she expressed herself and I don't think she from what she said I can't imagine that working I I had a very emphatic answer to the question should we start in January and it's no (laughs) two and and I'm going to finish this with with flipping that round children would start in the cold and in the dark I know that might seem a bit low level but I think the To me, the idea of the school year starting and therefore finishing in the middle of winter on a very practical level and just kind of on on a kind of an emotional level, uh, kind of well-being, personal well-being level doesn't seem good to me. There are different opinions about the long summer break. I'm a great advocate of a long summer break. I think think it's a healthy thing. Mm. And to me... The best time to have that is in the summer. Ironically, in Australia, that would be in, in December, January, yes. wouldn't it? Yeah. So I, I think that break in the summer that marks that transition is really good. 
In flipping it, I do think there's a strong case for universities to start in January so that we can admit students based on actual exam results rather than predicted exam results. Mm -hmm. That's that's slightly different to the question. But then you have a a decent amount of time out of education. It's like a few months of... Uh, finishing one scheme, mm-hmm. particularly as people either doing A-levels or something like that, do finish quite early before yeah. the summer. So they have a big shift then to, before coming in. Is that a positive or a negative? I would perceive a negative. Okay. I think it's a habit you'd get out of. In the same way that, like you were saying, the shift of um, how you feel in certain mm. uh, seasons. We've all seen in summer, children are not paying attention. It's far too hot in classrooms and they don't want to sit down. They want to go outside. Mm. So it makes sense to have the break over that time when they least likely want to be in the classroom. I suppose it's a lot more difficult for them to be going outside in the winter months when it's a lot darker, it's a lot colder. I think realistically, I was a child, I think I'd much rather be outside playing in the sun than playing out in the cold. They could wear a coat. (laughs) (laughs) Could wear a coat. Perhaps, yes. But I think, I know, I think that even so, it's it's dark, it's cold. I think it's a family time Christmas. But back to your point about it being slightly of emotional connection. I think psychologically, I think I would find it more difficult as a teacher to get through the year if it ended and started at Christmas. Because I often see the whole year spread out between two milestones, being mm. summer and Christmas, and it just works mm. around that. Mm. And just by having those two things just to look forward to, I think it just gives you a bit more momentum. If it all happens in one time of the year, then you've got to get through all these months, one after the other, and you just yeah. think, God, I can't. I mean, Ian's introduction, to, he mentioned about that sort of new year, new beginnings for me. And if you were to read my blog, which I believe has been published <laughs> this Friday, uh, for me, I mentioned for me, January, New Year's Day is meaningless. Well, it's a bank holiday. For me, yeah. New Year's Day is the 1st of September. Almost like suggest that one or the other could be moved. I, I'm actually going for New Year as the new start I mean, of the year. Like, so you're raising being a teacher above being a general person. I, I couldn't <laughs> separate being a teacher and being a person. It is I, so enough. much part of what I am. And I think it's just, it's that's after 34 mm. years, that's just the rhythm of my, mm. my life. Perhaps just go married to a teacher as well. That's the rhythm of our lives. It is it's based around the new year is September. Well, I, think, I think it's also important to recognise, even though we're all saying on the whole that it is better the way it is rather than changing it, if we were the opposite, how would you actually be able to implement that in the logistical side of it if we did decide that we wanted to move it to January? You'd suddenly oh, yeah, the then shift it. Would be there would different. be a few months worth of children that would have to go one way or the other mm. and you'd have a really small year mm. and then a massive mm. year which from the logistical size where you've already got class numbers which are questionably too large really for the um, the management of the class then it's to add more pressure onto that mm. would cause a problem for that initial transition. I think it'd be more complex than a no-deal Brexit. I was just suggesting that we might all have one year off and then <laughs> start to afresh. I can agree with that. <laughs> but it wouldn't be a year, it would be six months. Six months, yeah. Well, it, we mentioned the summer holiday and there was something else in the news which I found <clears throat> really interesting and it was to do with that task that teachers often use when children are going back after the summer holiday in that idea of what did you do 
during the summer break. When I read the article about it, I'd never thought about some of the things that they were mentioning about whether or not this could be quite traumatic for some children. And I know I'll put my hands up now and I have done it. You know, I have done, well, what have you done? You know, first topic back. Is it something that you would do or do you have strong opinions about it? I think um, after reading the article, it does highlight an important point, as you say, about some children who come from perhaps deprived backgrounds won't have had perhaps the greatest summer holiday that we all imagine, where they go on holiday or to Spain, have lots of fun. Um, so I think it, for me, it all comes down to choice, really. I don't think I feel it's right to deprive a child who's had a wonderful time to say, all right, well, we don't want to know that much about how your summer is. So I want to give them the choice of either saying what you did on your summer holiday or perhaps against another question. For example, um, something like, what are you looking forward to this next year? Yeah, I thought about when I read the article, I was like, actually, thinking about it, maybe that's not the best idea. And I was thinking of other questions you could ask children. I was along the lines of maybe something like, what was the nicest thing that you did for someone? over the summer holiday might be a better question to ask because like you say it does highlight the differences between some children's summers and, and some other children's summers some won't be as good as some won't be as in their heads as good as their friends and I think it then it's a whole comparison mm. they start the year off comparing themselves to others and I think there's better questions that maybe could be asked like are you not better advocating the way in which it is thought about rather than trying to one of the things you ask for points out is that it's quite an unoriginal idea now it has been done a lot so is it not better to find a more interesting question but it doesn't you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel about it well i'd say i would probably disagree with with arthur's point in saying perhaps having that as one task and then having this <coughs> another still doesn't really solve the problem of because then you'll still have some children talking about how great yeah. their summer was leaving mm-hmm. some that perhaps left on the other task thinking well i wish I could have yeah. that summer. So you still if it's truly a bad thing, does that mean that we shouldn't ask that child about it? Because we have, we discuss children not in children the open, not in the open discussion, perhaps. So could we say then that it depends on the class, and if we know that these children are perhaps they haven't had the best summer, if they are from a disadvantaged background, then we could decide to go for another topic, or if we know that they have all come in and they've all come in really positively and they have had a good summer, that we could let them. Um, right how are you measuring the goodness of their summer? Because well, the child think, who went on the holiday could have been an awful holiday. The one who sat in the garden the whole time could have no, been an amazing I think I rely on my own judgment at the time to mm. say that you'd be able to listen to them do, and understand them. Do we have to give children the opportunity to write about it? No. Not I mean, really. I, my, 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 like Ian, I, I, I've done this in the past. I now sit and look and think, goodness me, what a really naff, uninspiring thing to write about. Mm. Uh, there must be something better. I think. I think the sort of social inequality one uh, is important. I've also been in the position of children telling me about their summers. And I'm thinking well, it's way better than my summer. Never mind anybody else's. I, I. I just think there's there's much better things we can do. And I, I, I think the sort of finding you know finding something related to the summer is a bit overrated. Why don't we just get on with it? Get on with what we're doing. I think the. The bit from the from the news article I hadn't thought about was that traumatic experience, mm. which is probably relatively rare, but actually, in, in a sense, what you're doing is you're asking the child to relive that. Now, that maybe they want to talk about it, but I think if a child wants to talk about it, they'll come and talk to you about it. Yeah. If a child wants to tell you about the summer holiday, they'll come and tell you about it. And I think there's, yeah, there's also a risk that, as a teacher, you may think, oh, you know everything about these children, you haven't heard any bad news, so everything's fine, whereas the child or the family may have decided not to tell you about something that's happened. 
So you may go in with the judgment that, okay, I'm going to ask this question, everything's okay, like, I know non-dumb disadvantage, etc. But really, they could just be withholding information. And I think that's mm. a fine line. I, I do think it's an old idea. And I think there's miles more exciting things that we could get. I like the idea of feeding forward. Uh, I think, what are you going to achieve this year? Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to rule out children being able to celebrate the positives mm-hmm. in their life and say, so we're not doing this just in case. But why does that need to be through their written activity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Would that um, not make a brilliant discussion yeah. piece and we'll, oh, we'll elaborate on this exactly. verbally and then do something completely different? Yeah, and I, I think, I don't think I would do it as a written because I basically think too much is written. Mm. You know, it even, especially with things like science, you know, <laughs> do this wonderful experiment and when you come in after playtime, write it up. Well, why? You know, why, why is that? I've just got one last story to bring up with you and it's sort of like quite relevant at the moment thinking about what's happened in the news because there was a wonderful video that I sent you around that um, children asking Boris um, questions and I was, I was interested the question I posed to you was should the voice of children be heard to MPs at this level are they really being listened to or is this some kind of PR stunt you know, saying, oh, yes, we, we've we listened to this. I, was, I don't know if you listened to the questions, but I, I did yeah. wonder whether or not they had actually come up with yeah, those. Slightly screwed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I And whether or not, was there a whole list of children who had questions and it was like, right, we'll have you, you and you. What, what, what did you think about it? Asking Boris questions. I mean, even just listening to the children say those questions, that... Like it was like a seven-year-old stand-up. I go, that is not language of a seven-year-old. Yeah. It was very robotic. Mm. It was, yeah. It was, I think they were fed those questions to ask. So I don't think it was children's voices we were hearing. I think it was adults' voices through children's mouth we were hearing. Right. So that makes it a PR. Potentially I think what we were hearing was Boris showing how he listens. And unfortunately, <laughs> rabbit ears don't come out on, a, on, a, on a, <laughs> an audio podcast. No. Yeah, that's true. I think I mean to me it, it was it was completely stage managed and, and, and I think that's that's not the issue. What it made me think about was um opportunities where at a school level we give children or try and give children sports for things like school councils, that sort of thing. And I found myself sort of challenging my own thoughts about have I when I was in school have I kind of done the same thing have I yeah well, I, I've got a school council and I'm listening to the children mm. how much was that stage managed and how much was that was it was it genuine children's voice or was it you know what what are we going to spend 20 pound on for, for the for the playground and what color would you like the toilets mm. which are kind of you know, really kind of common things mm. for school council so I think we could look at that video and say oh, well that was really really stage managed I think we need to think carefully about in school the extent to which we might actually be doing the same thing. Not not on TV, but paying lip service almost yeah. sometimes. But if you're asking those things, then particularly those examples, they're very trite issues as such. Mm. See, I would suggest that you shouldn't ask these the children in general, you don't really ask their opinion on anything because there's a reason why they're in school and there's a reason, that reason essentially is they're five and they haven't been exposed to enough to understand why such is happening or why we present this as a consideration. And you could you can discuss things with children, but ultimately they're in an adult world and it's one way. I, th- I think it's still important to get their opinion, even Quite if right. you 
can then not necessarily put them down or prove them wrong. If you can then explain to them your point of view or bring in other things and make it a bigger issue, that, they look at the bigger picture. Kids' point of view. If you've oh. gone, I hear what you're saying. Now here's a different one. Well, We're going to fix think, your opinion. I think it's the manner in which you do it. Obviously, you don't want to come across oppressive and be. This is my opinion. That's yours. You kind of you need to to take what they're saying. To they might be right. I'm not saying that, but the. Um, take what they're saying and then create the discussion from what they're saying so they get to see other people's views and other things. Whereas if you don't give them any platform to speak on, how are they meant to begin to understand the bigger issues? So it's like how um, there's, I forget the name of the the girl that spoke at the UN. So she's, you could even say that that's perhaps a Mm -hmm. uh, PR opportunity again getting a child who is going to get millions of retweets rather than if you just had some old man stood there reading the exact same appeal but i think it's it's important that they get the voice out there but then also in that scenario are we not being swayed by the sweet child saying this as opposed to the slightly perhaps less interesting older academic saying it and yet they're saying it and using their experience and their own research <coughs> Uh, their findings yeah, I think the voice of child should be equal to the voice of an academic even despite an experience I mean I can understand that um, I mean I'm not just saying we should give four year olds the voice <laughs> don't worry but um, I think and I'm, I'm going to pick up on something that I've been seeing more and more in schools recently is the UNICEF 45 articles for the rights of a child and article 12 or 13 freedom of expression and respect for the views of a child and I'm seeing mm. this more and more and it does make you think that even if we aren't going to act on their opinions that shouldn't we be asking them what they think just so that when they get to an age of 16, 18 they can begin to formulate these views and actually put them into practice. Yeah. That's, well, that's what I was trying to get at, the point that if you've got to kind of give them the, the seeds of the different sort of mm. issues. So teaching about climate change and all these things in school is creating them so they get their own ideas uh, so that then when they get to voting age, they then can express themselves more. But that has a different uh, attitude in terms of encouraging children to express themselves and share their views as opposed to whether it's actually going to be acted on. I think I think there's no possibility that the that the voice of a child or children more collectively, if there's no possibility that, that something could change, then I think it's being misleading yeah. to be seen to be listening. Yeah. So I, th- I think there needs to be even even with you know sort of key stage two children, there needs to be some possibility that something could change. I mean I was trying to say say to children, just because you say it, it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but we will try and take on board your, your voice. But I think there needs to be some genuine opportunity for that to change. So otherwise, we're just, just being misleading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. yeah, because not all children in school are five. Like, children in school are a huge group of people, mm-hmm. you know, of huge variety of ages. And I think <clears> definitely as you start key stage two and then into secondary, I do think their voice needs to be heard. I'm with you on the fact that when they're five, it's hard because obviously they... They tend to not have an opinion on a great deal. Well, they do have an opinion, but it's not a thoroughly thought through opinion Mm. in general. Whereas I do think definitely as you start Key Stage 2, there needs to be a big push on children's opinions. You've you've also got the issue of if they are below a certain age, really where are these views coming from? They're probably not their own views that they've thought about themselves necessarily. It could be from the role models in their life, the teachers, parents, and yeah. all those things. They're a lot more influential, aren't they, yeah. in Key Stage 1, EYFS, whereas branching to Key Stage 2, I think they need to start to be listening to. 
Okay, we are going to move, well, I'm going to move you on. <laughs> I, I've picked up a whole load of things that will be really worth getting into a, a later episode. Uh, the main talk for today um, was the question, is learning in education or learning in general free? And it, I was thinking of it um, when I read an article because schools in England are being promised billions more in spending over the next three years and which was announced by the um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And next year, schools will receive 2.6 billion uplift, rising to 4.8 billion the following year, with schools spending 7.1 billion more than at present um, by 2022 and 2023. And it seemed that a, a huge amount of money was being ploughed into schools. And the, the Prime Minister said <coughs> to ensure all young people get the best start in life, that means the right funding. And it really got me thinking, education, learning, is it really free? Or is there a hidden agenda of money? Or do you need money? And does more money increase the amount of learning or a better education? And um, yeah, I'll throw it open to the floor and duck behind my screen. <laughs> <laughs> so I see learning as an essential part of life. And I think a lot of the essential parts in life that we need to survive and live, apart from air, although I'll probably be like, at a cost. I do think anything essential to life costs food, water, warmth, they're essential to thrive and grow and so is learning. So I think there is a cost there and I understand why there's a cost there. And I think, I think yeah, I don't think you're ever going to get a, f a completely free learning environment. Even state schools, you've got to argue, I mean, although parents don't directly pay uh, their children to go, we all pay income tax, yeah. which gets funding into the public services. Um, so at the end of the day, it, it does all cost. I mean, I'd like to say that I'm going only into this profession out of the goodness of my heart. But I mean, at the end of the day, we are hoping to get paid. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yes. It's just like learning. It does cost, doesn't it? Because like the, the school building costs to run. Like you've got school uniforms to pay for. They're a cost. You know, school bags for the children to take to school that they have to carry the books in in order to learn. They're going to cost. School books are going to cost. It's, it's inevitable, really. Ultimately, schools are businesses. Yeah. And, and that's what worries me. I mean, these this amount of money that they're talking about is not sort of like 50 quid. It's not like, it's a huge amount of money. And I sort of like thinking, what, what's been happening in, in education and schools currently that needs that huge input of money? I'd just like to pick up on that because I, well, I mean, I'd contested this huge input in money because... Um, Realistically, what it, it, the way it's been presented is that it's a lump sum of money mm. over year, 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 which isn't exactly the way governments usually run. They'd usually say, oh, we're going to increase spending, so it's so many billions of pounds per year. Whereas as it's a lump sum, it's not actually taken into account for inflation. So the, I've looked this up in the actual it's sum. Technical mathematics um, now. Yes. <laughs> well, no, it, the IFS have highlighted how it's... This uh, amount of money is somewhere between meaningless and uh, misleading um, because the actual figure would be somewhere around 4.3 billion. So this undoes the cuts of the last 10 years so that they'll be at the same point as they were roughly in 2010. So it, it's it's definitely, I would agree to you, this is a genuinely good amount of money that's being pushed into our education, but it is still going to be seen as quite 
in the overall squeeze. Okay, uh, I'll rephrase the question. You, we are all t teachers around this table. Do we teach better if there's more money ploughed into the school building? Like were you saying, Katie, yes. or resources? Do you teach better? Well, there's a school oh, in it. Scotland that's been made to look like a crown. It looks like a crown, basically. And apparently the teachers there, <laughs> I can't explain, the building looks like a crown. And it's, it's like, it's, 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 the pictures are amazing inside. And all the teachers, apparently, every teacher and every parent says that their children, a lot of money's been thrown into it, basically. And all the teachers and I say they're happier and the children are learning more and their test results have improved. So I guess if you're looking at that... <laughs> I don't know if they dare say anything no. else. <laughs> <laughs> if you're looking at that sort of research where, you know, you just take what teachers and parents say at face value, then I guess learning in a very... So suggesting that the environment has a the environment positive effect. has an, a positive effect. Which comes about due to investment. Yes, exactly. So and maybe... The suggestion that more money is needed is implying that right now the children are not getting a good enough education, which means... Why did we get to this point? Exactly. Is learning currently dire? I think, no, I think we got to this point because the realistically austerity message had to put into yeah. place and then public services, everything's been cut. Mm. I mean, whether or not you wanted that or not, um, there was a reason behind it. Whether or not you <coughs> got it to a standard at the moment where you think it's not good enough, then, well, I mean, it's never going to be perfect, is it? So, I mean, um, in my view, money that's been given to education can increase better outcomes, I'd say. Um, uh, okay, simply, you have to dis describe I'd or define outcomes now. Okay, right. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd say standards could rise. I'd say that... In learning? Um, yes. I'd say, yeah, because I would say that the more money that can be funded to build more schools, um, less, perhaps smaller class sizes, more chance of the teachers being able to actually interact with the children rather than having 30-odd students in a class. So like an individual basis many. between the teachers? On an yes, on an individual basis, I'd say that that could definitely help learning, yes. I mean, I mean Ofsted have on several occasions presented their inspection evidence that there isn't a direct link between class size and quality of teaching and learning. I, th I think that there's always a danger that we try and establish a causal relationship. If class sizes are smaller, therefore teaching and learning will be better. If they're bigger, it will be worse. And that, that's, the, that's the, the voice teachers. And Ofsted have found that actually really good, really good teachers make good teaching and learning happen in big classes and so, so it's not it's not a necessary it's, no, it's, it's not a necessary relationship no, yes, I, I, the, the largest class I've taught is 37 the smallest I've taught is 22 mm. was I was my class of 37 getting a worse education than the class of 22 I genuinely don't think they were mm. I think there's, there's multiple factors that affect it so it's quite yes. hard to kind of narrow it down oh, yeah, to just yes, one yes. sort of um, factor so if you're talking about more money that will improve the resources that we've mentioned mm. can support the uh, support staff uh, so within it within the article it said there could be up to 700 million extra for special needs pupils if they're getting additional support for the uh, those that require it that's a big potential improvement for them so that's sort of something to think about as well it's not so, just one factor are we saying then that you're saying peter then that the money that's been given it won't actually increase uh, learning outcomes or standards no what i'm saying is i, th I think it's dangerous to make an assumption mm, okay. that more money will automatically improve the standards of teaching and learning 
What do you think it could improve? I, th- I think it absolutely could, mm. but yeah. I, th- I think it's dangerous to say that the, all, all we need is more money. Mm. I'm going to be really blunt here. If you, if you improve the environment for rubbish teacher, that's not going to make it any better. You're just going to be terrible in a nicer classroom. Yes. But I suppose you could put some of the money towards tra- further training for yes. some mm. subject areas if there's yes. a weakness yes. identified. Well, I, I was interested because I was just relating back to what everybody said was their favourite subject at the beginning do you think schools might take this money and sort of like develop performing arts or getting further people in you know going on trips extending the learning opportunities or do you think um, some schools might plow it into accommodation i.e. the building or even more your six sat practices <laughs> do you see what I mean? it would i imagine fluctuate so much depending on the school itself and mm. the school being given money will make a decision on what's going to do with it so we saw it years ago with the um money that's given to schools for pe it was given for the purpose of up leveling the practitioner however a lot of it did go on equipment <clears throat> now you could argue potentially that did help some of the students mm. some of the learning that happened in that school potentially also didn't there's a there's an argument that we were we won't be able to tell for a very yeah. long time whether this will have any benefits exactly but i was thinking more of providing opportunities you, you know mm. and sort of like saying look we can have somebody to come in to do this now and to do more drama or provide it as an extracurricular club or more music because I sometimes feel that education can be very focused on you know maths and english and a bit of science. So do you think it would be a possibility for other opportunities for children? It sounds like a very simplistic approach to it. The idea that by giving more money, we'll have more rounded children. Yeah, but I, I still wonder whether or not it will still be ploughed into reading and writing. And maybe that's the most important things. Or will schools, I'm not too sure, and by all means, correct me, I'm not too sure whether or not it will be ring-fenced in schools, i.e. you have to use it for this or for that. I'm not too sure what it's going to be for. I think I quite like, I do quite like the idea of this money, a lot of this money going to helping classrooms, the classroom itself expand and become bigger and just be more, just, I, I... (laughs) become large I, li- I quite like the idea of bigger cl- if we're going to have big class sizes I do think we need to have bigger classrooms because speaking from experience when I was at school I was in quite a big class and I don't think the classroom was big enough to accommodate us all I had a lot of issues with that because I felt claustrophobic a lot of the time and I do think that impacted on my learning if the school had well to an extent I think if the school had been able to provide a bigger learning environment that I was going to stay in all year not just spend the money on a trip that I'd experience for a week for maximum a week I think that would have been helpful I think I think there's a there's a, an enormously political dimension to this okay. call me cynical we're, we're, we're in a political climate now where there's a there's a pretty good chance we're going to have a general election yeah. and we have what is generally a very high profile issue of education announced at, in this season um i think the other thing is 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 that if, if governments pledge to put to put money into something they will want to show that that has achieved value for money and i think to some extent that part of this comes down to how any government and this it, it, it political with a small with a small bit how any government would choose to demonstrate that their education policy and education funding has improved education i guess the typical measures are things like 
tests and exam results mm. and, and Ofsted outcomes. And I think we're at an interesting point now where those two things might be slightly moving apart. Test outcomes, mm. English and maths. The new Ofsted framework is very much pushing a broader, more balanced curriculum. Mm. And then things, as Ian was saying, things like, things like performing arts and, and the visual arts. And, and the humanities are potentially going to be having a, 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 maybe a bit of a renaissance. A school that ignores those in favour of test results would appear at the moment is, is, is actually taking quite a tricky approach. So I think where, where this funding goes and how a future government would seek to justify it, I think is, is really interesting at the moment because I think it's difficult to say it should go you know either, either yeah. down. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it should, sorry, that, that schools would or, or a government would see it as important in it producing better test results or, or, or a wider curriculum because I think both of those are kind of in the, in the spotlight at the moment, mm-hmm. which, is, which is quite interesting. Do you think it should be shared equally for all schools? No. I think you have to look at the, the inequalities and sort of address areas that perhaps are yeah. at the lower end more so than the ones at the top but then it's, equally does that is that then unfair on the I, ones yeah, at the top I would argue it's that's, equally unfair that's but almost, in some respects it's the most counterproductive because yeah, it's, 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 it's the whole equity versus equality debate mm. like why give everyone the same thing when it's still going to make some schools higher than others why not give every, everybody what they need to make all schools level? I don't think all schools should be given the same amount of money because I've worked as a TA at a school in Blackpool and that school needed more money than a TA, than where I worked as a TA further south. When you say more money... It needed more funding. It, it, for? For, for the children's um, opportunities, like even getting a bus into the town centre, they struggled to find the money for. Whereas at a different school I knew and worked at, you know, they, they could afford... They, they were thinking about taking primary school children to France because they had the money for it. Like it was, wow. and they had the well, they had the money plus parents donate well not donations plus a, a bit of money from the parents parents as well. And I don't think that that school should be given the same amount as the other school that I was talking about. Is that not then contradicting your argument earlier about the longevity of the money? If it's given one of the things you suggested about the trips that can be arranged, yeah. If that school in Blackpool. Would it not benefit from having the same amount of money as any school and using it on the actual school rather than a yeah. short well, experience? The, 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 the trips was, yeah, that was a bad example for me to use. I I just think that the whole, I just think the government needs to be more equitable rather than focus on equality. I think it needs to focus on equity more than equality in terms of education. Would, so if we say that different schools are entitled to different amounts of money, is this going to be a bidding war? And no, they're the, you know, I we need this. And then, How are you measuring it? Yeah, and then I think it does come into a political agenda again. Because government can then say, oh, they're doing something that really supports us. Just just to stick with that theme, I was watching my uh, favourite channel recently, Parliament Channel. Um, Other channels are available. Yes, um, (laughs) where the new Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, highlighted that um, a new national funding formula is going to be set and it's going to level up funding um, rather than distributing it between winners and losers. So that implies that perhaps those that have been on a slightly lower budget but in a more affluent area are going to gain a, mo- gain a bit more but is that going to be at the loss of those in a more deprived area are they going to have to move down so whether or not <coughs> that is going to impact disadvantaged schools remains to be seen I'd say I think overall if you look closely at any part of education closely enough 
you'll find inequality everywhere. So I, I don't think you. This is you're never going to absolutely get it perfect. Yes, so, but um, I I do think that especially. Um, Things like coastal towns, which aren't mm. really quite disadvantaged, would perhaps benefit from more funding than yes. in the city schools. I think I think that use of the word winners there, and I know it wasn't your word, it's, it's very yeah. misleading because yes. prob- probably the winners in what was perceived as winners in those situations are probably the schools that are absolutely not the winners. Yes. The, 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 the schools in the areas that mm. are the most needy, the most disadvantaged. I mean, I mean, fun- funding isn't currently. Equal. It's pronouncing a new formula mm. of funding. Mm. There's been formula funding for decades. Mm. Um, you know things like pupil premium grant. Although there's there's like Becky Allen's research would suggest that that isn't working. You know we, we talk mm. about closing the gap, closing the attainment gap between people from disadvantaged backgrounds and other pupils. There is a huge attainment gap and it doesn't seem to be closing. So would you not then end up with a more <coughs> equal playing field? by just giving everybody the same. But then I think, I don't, if, I don't, if right now the, the funding is different and it, this is not achieving a uniform level across all schools, how can we say for certain I, I, that by giving equal money to all schools it wouldn't... So you would suggest that every single school in the country, regardless of location, gets X amount? Mm, that reduces the disadvantaged schools quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, is that going to have make the gap even more? But then the problem with that is you've got government <coughs> investment, but then a lot of schools, as was mentioned, parents often invest as other sort of things which add mm. to the inequality which the government can't really control yeah. unless they create an inequality to reverse that, which then is questionably mm. unfair. I think I think what needs to be looked at is a couple of things. One is what that money is being used for. Mm-hmm. If purely just saying, right, this school gets pupil premium grant of however many hundreds of thousands of pounds, schools have to account for that. And actually, if the attainment gap isn't closing, then perhaps there needs to be closer scrutiny as to how that money is being used. Mm-hmm. It might even challenge the notion, this, this might sound wrong, but we, we, we take the notion of attainment gap and let's close the gap mm-hmm. as if that's a really straightforward, mm-hmm. simple thing to do. <laughs> Put some money in and the gap will close. Mm-hmm. That's, that is ludicrous to, to, mm-hmm. to, 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 to make it so simplistic. And perhaps there needs to be a challenge to what is almost an accepted thing that if if we just try a little bit harder and put a bit more money in, we we can we can close we can close the gap. And I think it's way more complex than that. As in focusing more on the how, the method of how to achieve yeah. perhaps yeah. attainment. Yeah, and I think it goes back to the original question that there isn't necessarily a causal relationship. If you put money in, mm. it will X Y Z will happen. But I don't think we should just you know have a formula which is however many thousands per pupil across the country. Everything. Mm-hmm. There are so many more things that you, you talked about. You know, trips to France and, and and so many more enhancements that can come, which happen far more in a school in an affluent area than in a non-affluent area. What worries me is what worries me about, about funding is is this idea that if we just do this that will happen. Yes. And I think it's There's far, so much it's far more, more complex. That, that is it's stated that influences us yeah. if you look at disadvantaged areas, would it help if those um their parents were better <coughs> off, would that contribute to it? I mean we've often said in the workshops that it's parents that are the real influence mm. on their children. So would perhaps that be another factor, maybe not the the largest one, but enough fact that we could perhaps look at. And, the, and the, you know, the, an, an e-jerk thing is let, let's let's put more support in. Let's mm. put more teaching assistant support yeah. in. Which goes against what you want, Katie, in your incredibly full classrooms. I, if the classrooms were made bigger to accommodate extra support staff, then I think that would be brilliant. I mean, it's hard to 
So that's needing it's money. Hard to want everything. So you need money enough to expand a building, but also to provide. Well, what, what I was going to say is, is actually there is some research, and it's I, I I wasn't anticipating saying this. It's somebody in Blatchford did quite a lot of research on support teaching assistants supporting special needs, and actually finding they don't make that much difference. Mm-hmm. Which goes in. Mm-hmm. Let's get more TAs. Let's have let's put more. Well, support yes, in. that's a bit of a problem now for them, yeah. isn't it? Because we've got oh, yeah. so many TAs, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. we're. Uh, but that but that's that's like that's the, that's. The knee-jerk reaction. Let's special yeah. needs. Put more TAs. Yes. Put more TAs. Yeah. In terms of short-term and long-term approaches. Short-term, you may see a change. Long-term, is that actually benefiting them? I think the research actually states that if there's some kind of structure that the TA is delivering, i.e., a specific program, then that <coughs> is beneficial. But I, I think it comes back to this idea. And I do believe this really strongly, that it's quite easy for the government to throw money at schools, as if it's a silver bullet that's going to <coughs> solve everything. And to say, if I give you this amount, standards will, will increase. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think it's that simple. I think there's mm-hmm. so many different variations and variants, it's impossible. I do wonder whether or not it's going to come back to bite us. You know, it's sort of like... I think it's hard to say, though, that... Because you're almost going as far as saying, well, we might as well just not invest then. If it's not going to make any difference... Why not put the money in the NHS or something else? Yeah. Yes. But it's surely got to be beneficial in some way. I, 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 I wasn't saying it wasn't, but yeah. what I, I, th- I think as a profession, we need to think and perhaps challenge some of the, the, the what, what might be seen as, well, yeah, that's obvious. Mm. Yeah, let's put more teaching yeah. assistants. I, I've worked with teaching assistants, love my teaching assistants, mm. fantastic, wouldn't be without them. But it's not... It, it, it's not a formula put more yeah. TA support in to, and it will get better to be fair I mean when you look at the wider <clears> context as well in the media I mean it, it, it just follows a general cycle of government says here we go here's the money unions say it's not enough and then mm-hmm. more political parties say oh that's not enough no we'll uh, <laughs> we'll increase it by however more even if it's a huge amount, no, we'll go further. I mean, it is very money-driven, but I'd say that it, it's not just in the political sector as well. I think it extends more to, say, like the NEU, which have, it just seems to be sort of, right, no, that's not enough. It needs to be at this height, rather than giving more direction. I'd say, well, as to what it could be used for and how. I'd say it's it's very politically driven, because I think what will happen with this money is the Conservatives are obviously going to, over the next few years, be... What, trying their hardest to prove that it was good whereas all the opponents which are going to be doing the opposite and trying to find any reason to say that it's not enough that it's not done anything yeah so it's very much a pr but actually the the measures by which education has been evaluated politically particularly in terms of such results exam results that hasn't changed with different governments and like Labour, Conservative, Lib Dem, Coalition, Conservatives use the same measures so that that's kind of that's kind of quite interesting because yeah. a lot of education policy, I don't think, has changed that much with changes of governments. No. The circle that yeah. 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 On that point of the circle, which I'm sure is a TV programme, but I'm not too <laughs> sure. Before we get into huge political debates, we've just hit 50 minutes. So it's time to, to bring the um, podcast to a close. I was just thinking we need to get some kind of 
um, Twitter or something so people can respond to the wonderful comments that we've all made uh, today. And I think TA should probably be something for a future podcast. I think it'd be excellent. Maybe even <laughs> invite a TA along. Um, we, we all hope that you have enjoyed this first podcast from the Education Debate. If you have, then please do subscribe to the podcast and share this and future episodes with friends and colleagues. We'll be back with our lively discussion at the end of October. Until then, enjoy your teaching and learning, and I will say goodbye, and my colleagues will say goodbye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not represent those of the institution where they attend or are employed. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons License 4.0. So if you use any part of the podcast, please give us credit. Thank you.